Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Welcome to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Daniel. And as uh, you may have already discovered, we're flying solo without Gary. Yes. Wishing he were here to be part of this discussion tonight, but he's uh, tonight, but he's uh, he's not available, and uh, and so uh, he'll just have to catch up on this discussion uh, by listening to it later, and then just wishing he could be here. Yeah, we're a duo, not a trio. This that's evening. right. That's exactly <laughs> right. So um, we have been discussing the topic of relapse, uh, partly because I think that's on my mind as I contemplate, uh, as I listen to so many folks that are that are moving forward in their recovery but are struggling to find some some stable moment in their existence with uh uh finding some footing and moving forward with their recovery. So, yeah, this is uh this is a topic that's very much on our mind. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to we want to discuss tonight is uh some reading from Patrick Carnes, who of course is uh considered to be sort of the godfather of it, of sexual addiction and some of his literature. This is coming from uh this is coming from his Sage One book, which is called Facing the Shadow, which is really where a lot of the tools about sexual addiction and recovery are learned. Um, and he has a whole entire section in here regarding uh, um, uh, barriers to relapse. He, he identifies four specific barriers, and of course, there's lots of discussion in each one of those. In each one of those barriers, I want to. I'll just read the barriers first of all, and then we can kind of talk about each one of them individually. The first barrier is living the recovery essentials, and we're gonna. We're going to spend a few minutes about what those recovery essentials are because he spends a lot of time on that. The second barrier is doing reality checks and defining boundaries. Um, one of the discoveries I've made about my own recovery is is just how much bear, uh, boundaries play in not only our addictive behaviors but also in our recovery behaviors. Boundaries are a significant piece of that. Uh, barrier three, checking for boundary violations. It's that constant evaluation to say, you know, have I crossed the line? Have I gone to some place where I shouldn't yeah. be? <clears throat> And then barrier four is responding to relapse by keeping your agreements. And that's to say that there are no more secrets. I'm done being, I'm done telling lies and I'm done, uh, I'm done with secrets in my existence. Gary's famous for saying that, you know, you're only as healthy as your secrets, yep. which is a great comment. There's truth to that. And I'm sure we'll spend some time about that idea when we get to barrier four. Uh, back to barrier one, living the, rec- the recovery essentials. Um, some of the things that he identifies specifically in terms of recovery essentials are this. Uh, do only what's important. And we can talk about each one of these as we kind of go through. What do you think, Daniel? Do only what is important. What does that mean exactly? I mean, at least for me, that's, a, that's the best way I can do it. You know, do what is important. Like, you know, work obviously is important. I got to pay my bills. I have to be able to um, support my kids. Uh, going to school is important because it's you know helping me out. But most of all, I have what is important is my recovery. Absolutely, if I'm not doing my recovery first. Those other two things are going to fail. Um, so that's important, as well as taking time for me and making me a priority. If I'm making myself the lowest priority, then resentments kick in, and I'm more than likely I'm going to be relapsing. But if I'm the top priority, those other things filter down. You know, if I'm at my best, then I'm doing what's right. You know, me being dad and being present with my kids 
it is just automatically going to happen. Right. Me being the best employee I can be is automatically going to happen. Uh, me being the best, uh, you know, student, same thing. So those are, you know, for me, um, when I'm doing what is important, those are the things that come to mind for me. I love the prioritization of what you put to that. I, uh, um, so oftentimes I remember early on in my very first experiences with our common counselor where I didn't take this, I didn't take these, uh, these group meetings as being serious as yeah. though, as though they were optional if I wanted to attend. And he was pretty clear that, uh, uh that kind of casual approach to, to recovery meant that we would probably find ourselves in, you know, that relapse was in our future and that we'd probably have a difficult time finding any kind of sobriety or clean time. And he made it perfectly clear on multiple occasions that our recovery had to be the most important thing. And I remember struggling, <laughs> trying to wrap my head around that as that being that, you know, am I really so far out of whack that this this idea of recovery has to be the top priority? And yet, ironically, it when it finally became the top priority, that's the point in time when I started to find some clean time and some sobriety. So yes, re- recovery has to be the top priority and everything else will fall into place. Yeah. So I like that. The second thing, this is, again, coming back to the recovery essentials. Uh, barrier one is living the recovery essentials, and we're going through some of these recovery essentials. Reward yourself for good work. Affirm yourself. We'll kind of bring both of those two together. Uh, one of the things that's so obvious about this is uh, there's this there's this constant feeling of I'm just a horrible human being. Mm-hmm. Every time a relapse happens or every time something like that uh, goes wrong or, or one of the other things that happens is, is that I may, I may do something really, really good. Maybe have worked through some particular aspect of my recovery in a good way and yet not, not, not congratulate myself for the efforts there. It was just, well, you know, even a blind chicken gets a kernel of corn once in a while, kind of an approach. So, uh, anyway, some thoughts on that. Well, I mean, kind of, again, Gary kind of helped me in a way to rewire this because I mean, even when we're acting out, sort of rewarding ourselves you know our brain is like getting flooded with dopamine right. and so it's like oh hey look i got this little chemical um reward uh but like you said when i would actually do things that were good i never rewarded myself so i had to kind of intentionally work opposite of okay i'm not doing this now but if i'm doing something i got to reward myself right you know if you know i went and did the practice test for my final and i passed I'd go get like an ice cream sandwich, not something big, but sure. it was something that like, Hey, I, you did something I did good. Something. Sure. Um, you know, I'd pass a class, I'd go buy a book, um, something that's saying, Hey, you're worth this time, this effort. Um, and it's slowly, I just continue to do that. And yeah. I have to, cause it's retraining my brain. Right. Um, because we've trained it one way and now we got to do that. Plus at the same time, you know, at least for me, you know, growing up, the message was, well, what does it matter? You, you know, because I'm right. worthless. Right. You know, nothing I do is ever good enough. So and that self-affirmation is, yeah, is a Yeah, that big affirming deal. to yourself, hey, yeah. you are worth something. You do matter. And I'm going to show you, you know. Yeah. It doesn't have to be big, shiny, you know, a giant yacht or a trip to Hawaii. It could be something <laughs> right. as simple as an ice cream ice sandwich. Ice cream sandwich. Run down to the, the creamery, grab yourself a, an ice cream or, you know. Uh, even a diet Pepsi. I mean, maybe that's why Shane always has his diet (laughs) Pepsi handy. Um, Because he deals with all of us. That's funny. He's got to reward himself. But it it really does help. Um, You know, I 
I purchased something a couple of weeks ago because I'm going through a really difficult class. Um, you know, managerial accounting. Ooh, that's so exciting. Um, but I have a reward. I know it's there, but I don't get it until I pass that class. Gotcha. Wow. And so it, you know, there's always that reminder, like when I'm just like, oh, I just don't want to do it. It's like, <laughs> oh. But I, but I do it. want that but reward. I want that. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, you know, I do the same thing with my kids, you know, when, you know, with cleaning and stuff like that, they have a, re- a reward system. So many uh, this, then they can go get something. Yeah. And it really excites them. And it's no, we're no different. Right. Right. Even as an adult. Yeah. Uh, another concept, be accountable. Um, this is a, this is a big component of my recovery. I realized uh, part of my issue more than anything is I, I don't know, I mean, after having left the family and now being a father of my own, that I really don't find myself too accountable to a whole lot of folks. I'm self-employed, which means I don't, I don't, um, I don't find myself accountable to a boss. Mm-hmm. I made to my clients, but there's a lot of latitude in that. Yeah. And so um, those were all things that very much played heavily into my addictive behavior. And so finding ways to be accountable was critical to my, my recovery. What are the boundaries that are that are acceptable, and what are the out of bounds sort yeah. of things? Because we're going to talk more about that. Um, take care of yourself. Self care, um, big deal, big deal. I think Gary's kind of famous about sharing stories about how uh, uh, the little things it was that that mm-hmm. made him feel like that recovery was because he was worth it. One of them yeah. was just as simple as flossing his teeth, and yeah. I think that every time I hear that, it just I it stuns me to think that we'd we'd in our addictive behavior, we've arrived at this place where we don't even see ourselves worthy of flossing our teeth. We don't get involved with some of those those simple things. We just let everything go. Yeah. So. No, I mean, uh, a few years back, before we even moved up here in this area, you know, my kids had this joke that, you know, because I was, I was working from home. Uh-huh. You know, my ex had asked me to work from home to help take care of the kids. And so I, I never left the house. Right. And the kids had a joke that, if, you know, every time I put on pants, they're like, so dad, where are you going? I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't put on pants unless you're going somewhere. I would literally be wear my pajamas like day in and day out. I just crawled out of bed, went into the office, did my job because, you know. And then crawled back and into then, bed at night. And then did my stuff, you know, helped with homework, did what we needed to, watched a sh- show or whatever, then went back to bed. And then just re- repeat, recycle. You know, there'd be a shower somewhere in there. Wow. Um, <laughs> and I look back at that and I'm just like, wow. I was just like living in zombie mode. Yeah. And how could I let myself go that far? Um, and even my kids' comments just wasn't a wake-up call. But, right. Um, but yeah, you know, even now it's like, you know, my, my, I'm stressed out. My kids are making, or like at each other and I'm just ready to, to just yell at them. They're like, okay, I'll look at them. And I'm like, dad needs a timeout. <laughs> I'm going to go in my room. I'm going to close the door for 10 minutes. I don't want anyone to bug me. I'm going to turn some music on and I'll be back out in 10 minutes. And that's all out. it takes. Yeah. 10 minutes. I, I, I get rebalanced and I'm good to go again. Yeah. Um, but if I don't do that, then I explode and then I yell and then they cry and then I probably will do something that'll hurt them or upset them because I've right. done that in the past with my older kids, which then causes, for, you know, wounds and problems and then they're going to resent me and it's just this downward spiral. Right, right. Um, and, 
but just taking 10 Interesting. minutes really yeah. does a lot. Something about uh, taking care of yourself. Yeah, that but, really and at the same time, up. I'm also being accountable by saying, hey, I, I'm at my limit. I need a, I need a break. I just need a break. That's a good point. And then I can come back. Yeah, that's a great point. Here's an interesting one. Know what matters. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> one of the things that's happened in my circumstances is, I've, is I've, as recovery has moved forward, knowing what matters has changed. I, I used to think that uh, work and clients and uh, um, I never saw myself ever retiring. I always thought to myself I would just work until the day I died simply yeah. because nothing seemed to matter. And now suddenly, as recovery has, uh, has, has moved forward, um, I'm finding myself realizing that, that work is really not what matters. It's what really matters is relationships, relationship with my wife, relationship with my children. All those things that I've neglected through my acting out behavior are now suddenly becoming forefront and most important to me through recovery. So knowing what matters is, is really, really yeah. relevant. <clears throat> um, Relationships. I, you and I experienced the Sage Three uh, group. It was really kind of an interesting topic to arrive at. The ultimate to-do list, which was really kind of a great concept. Yeah. This idea of saying, "Hey, you know, if recovery has robbed us of certain things, then recovery is supposed to replace those certain things. And if that's the case, what are these certain things? What is this ultimate to-do list to bring us to the place where we're supposed to fill this void of of you know cutting out this acting out behavior?" So uh, knowing what matters is a big piece of that. Yeah. That's been, a, that's been a really, really, really relevant piece. Uh, here's another. Learn from our mistakes. Again, this is all having to do with living the recovery essentials. Well, well and this is some, I mean, something that's early from Sage One, uh, you know, the, the relapse chain. You know, I, when I first started doing it, it's like, really, why am I doing this? Sure. But, you know, it, when I did that, it was teaching me. And, and helping me to identify the things that I was doing that was leading me down here. Um, because if you don't learn from your mistakes, I mean, you're just going to keep repeating right. them. Right. You know, it's You don't like, necessarily see them as mistakes. Yeah. I mean, in this addiction, we don't. I mean, right. We, we've mowed down our frontal cortex to the point where it's like, those. The, no, this is okay. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of times where I'm just like, what, what does it matter? I, it's only hurting me. Right. It, not realizing you know maybe me looking at it wasn't hurting other people but my behavior was um the way i was reacting um you know when my my ex found it that definitely hurt her that caused a reaction so but in that moment you're not thinking that's like ah it's just me it doesn't matter right looking at the overall picture you realize yeah there's a lot of damage it was i mean i was lobbing a grenade right so often absolutely there was definitely shrapnel Coming back to these as being barriers, this is uh, this is barriers to relapse. Again, yeah. coming out of uh, out of Patrick Carnes' book, uh, Barrier One: Living These Recovery Essentials. And as we live these essentials, uh, we find ourselves creating a barrier to uh, to possible relapse. Uh, rest and reflect. Connect to those who know your story. I'll move along here just a little faster as we move along. Uh, connect to those who know your story. Allow pain, joy, fear, and anger. One of the things that that uh, addiction does is it it dulls our senses mm-hmm. such that we don't experience those emotions uh, to the full extent or to the to magnitude that we ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> lots of times, I remember looking around at people and, and seeing them have an emotional experience and thinking to myself, "Why do I not feel? Uh, why do I not feel the, the the emotion that you're experiencing right now? Why do I 
I'm desensitized to, you know, the passing of another human being, a loved one or something like that. Why am I desensitized to some of those things? Why then don't I experience the joy when I see my children succeed at something? Why then am I as though, you know, just passively like, well, you know, not a big deal. Anybody can do that. Whatever it was, I just didn't experience the the depth and breadth of these of these emotions. So allowing those emotions in their full in their full form. Well, and it's really important too. I mean, in the last episode I expressed how you know I had a really bad day, um, you know, and it sucked. And, you know, the following day, you know, I went to work, I came home, and I just kind of laid on my couch, just letting those emotions that you know it sucked. I was feeling sad. I was feeling depressed. I let all that go through, and then, you know, I went to bed, and the next morning, it was like, okay, I felt that, now, now I what do I go. need to do? Right. I need to let this go, and I need to move forward. Yes, it's, you know, those feelings are probably going to come back, but they can't be, they can't hold sway like they did. Right. Um, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be making any real long-term based decision off of that emotional yeah, moment. Yeah. I don't want to lash out at somebody because I had this bad interaction with them yesterday that's affecting me emotionally. I don't want to damage that relationship as a result of that. Yeah, and that kind of comes back to that, you know, what's important. Yeah. That relationship is obviously important, so we don't want to lash out. Right. Uh, You know, and I know our our spouses get that backlash probably the worst. Right, absolute truth. You know, I know with my ex, uh, she did, and if I had been in this place where it's like hey i'm just in a bad place right now i just need to kind of go through this then we can talk about it afterwards you know i don't think it would have been as bad those you know that backlash wouldn't have been as bad i could have been okay i'm done this is what's happened this is where i'm at interesting one that comes up here tonight i kind of glossed over it but to connect to those that know your story um you know the recovery community is large and wide um and i think you know, it's great to belong to an SAA group. It's great to belong to some of these SAGE groups that, that because what it does is it creates a community. It creates a tribe. It creates yeah. this connection in ways that, uh, um, that that's really powerful. And so somebody who knows your story inside and out, who understands the, you know, the depth and breadth of your acting out behavior, and now the, the effort you're making in your own recovery is a powerful, powerful tool. That's yeah. a great motivator, and it's a great connection. Because so much of this addiction exists in, in, in uh, uh, sort of, you know, isolation kind of stuff. And so to be connected now to a group of folks who are struggling in the same way is really helpful. Yeah. So knowing, connecting to those folks and, and being part of those tribes, if you will, is really, really powerful and good stuff. Yeah, it definitely is. <clears throat> so a couple others here. Uh, stay present, accept that sex is not the enemy and seek your sexual self. Uh, stay present and accept accept the fact that sex isn't the enemy. Uh, there have been a handful of folks that have reflected on their own experience thinking to themselves. And in fact, Carnes himself in one of his books actually uh, shares some experiences some folks who were prisoners where they felt like that literally if if just the simple removal of, of, of an appendage would, would solve their problem, they'd be willing to do something to that magnitude. Yeah. And uh, that's that's a... That's a really dark place to have arrived at because of this addiction. So the admittance of the fact that sex in and of itself isn't the problem. It's how we're viewing 
It's how we're utilizing this this sexual experience to mask our other problems that yeah. we're experiencing in our own life. And so that's really kind of a that's a that's a powerful tool to recognize the fact it's not sex in and of itself that's the problem. It's how I'm using this as a way of soothing my or assaging my pain and sorrow. Yeah, so. and, and I think that also goes with the the portrayed the portrayed spouse too. Sure, a lot of times they view sex as the problem. Right. Um, you know, whether they're not sexy enough or they're not doing the right things, you know, while, you know, the, the addict is like doing their thing. Um, cause I know, especially in my relationship, it, that really became the problem. It, it, sex. Sure. You know, it's like, I just want to hug. Like right, I'm right. really struggling right now. I just want to hug. I, I don't want sex, but that hug in their mind led to something <clears throat> that would lead to sex. I know in my own circumstance that that hug was then, you know, if it didn't, if it didn't go all the way to sex, that yeah. she felt like that I would be angry. Yeah. And to some extent, there was truth to that. Yeah. Um, I, I oftentimes would use a Friday night date to think that, hey, if this doesn't end up in sex tonight, why do we go on a date kind of a thing? Yeah. I, mean, I really just twisted the whole idea of connection and intimacy uh, to translate literally into, um, you know, a physical act of sex, which was... Just so, so wrong. Just yeah, so misplaced. For me, it was like a back massage. If I right. was giving her a back massage, it's like, well, you know, yeah. half your clothes are off. We might as well just go we the rest of the well way. We might as well just finish up here. Yeah. You know? So again, coming back to uh, these again are barriers to relapse uh, that we're reading through. Barriers to relapse. And what we've talked about then is living the recovery essentials. And that list that we just went through is uh, this idea that um, that living... Living these principles, these recovery essentials, will allow us then uh, our first barrier to relapse. Um, he says uh, in in you're quoting the the big book from Al- from AA. This is the willingness to go to any lengths. This is the idea notion that when a person reaches the place where they're willing to go to any lengths to get rid of this addiction in their life, that living these living these principles that we're talking about are the things that are that are required of us to to be willing to do. That's the going to any length, if you yeah. will, to, to, to that recovery can be a part of your uh, re- recovery can be part of your life. Well, I mean, it's no different than like a, on a war, you know, on the battlefield. I mean, if you watch any of those old uh, World War II uh, movies, you know, there's lots of different barriers, right. wire right. defenses and, and, and mounds and stuff like that, that the enemy has to get through before they get, you know, get to the, the good guys. And, it, and it's, this is kind of the thing you're, you're putting up fences and barriers. That's right to stop the addiction from getting to you so that you know you have time to mount a defense yeah it's interesting the paragraph to barrier two which is doing reality checks and defining boundaries and and i like your analysis of these various various levels to go through he says if the stone does get past the initial barrier which is what you're talking about and a momentum toward relapse begins we have barrier two yeah and barrier two is this reality check in defining boundaries. What are the defined boundaries in our space? And I will tell you, uh, after five plus years of doing this, that uh, the boundary piece has been the biggest challenge in my world. What are the boundaries that I accept and that I'm not willing to accept? I remember very early on. Um, now, I had never acted out. This is the honest truth. I had never acted out on my home computer. Um, we had never put any kind of a, you know, any kind of a filter or anything like that on my home computer. And so for me, it was either the phone or it was going to be my work computer. Uh, and being self-employed, obviously, that was, those, you know, that was so much easier than dealing with the consequences of acting out at home. Yeah. So I never did. 
As soon as I had disclosed to my wife, the first thing that came out of her mouth was is that we want to put some sort of a some sort of a um, filter on our home computer yeah. to prevent that. And I remember being so incensed by that, so frustrated and so upset by that because that was never a place that I'd ever acted out. And I really had to kind of get to the place. And I remember having conversations again with my sponsor about all that and him saying to, you know, well, isn't that great that she cares enough about you to be willing to, you know, willing to do this sort of thing? And, and I really had to, it took some time for me to digest all of that. But to some extent, I mean, I really, after a while, I arrived at the place of just simply saying, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So if that's really the thing, that that's the boundary that makes you feel safe and makes me you know, keeps me in check. I'm great with that. And, but, but but there were so many facets of all of this acting out behavior. I remember spending some money to get a, uh, um, to get a barrier at my work computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had to buy a, we had to buy a firewall and block out certain, you know, lots of information. And I, I had no idea, but it's difficult to shut out that kind of information flowing through. Yeah. I had no idea it was as hard as it is, but it's hard. Yeah. Um, well, and the interesting thing about your story there is, you know, yeah, your your wife was defining a boundary. That's right. You were kind of bucking against it, and then Gary was giving you a reality check. That's right. Like, wait a minute, you know, that's great. Isn't that this she, a great thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we have to do that quite often. I mean, there's sometimes where you know I'm I'm running through Amazon and I got my cart filled and I'm ready to hit checkout. I'm like, and then I stop. I'm like, okay. Do I really need these things? Right. Is this just because in the moment, uh, you know, I'm going through something, so I'm kind of doing retail therapy? Right, right. Because this is just easy to do. Because yeah, if I go to the store, it's a lot harder. Right. Where I can just sit on my couch and just, ooh, I like that, I like that. <laughs> and so I always stop myself, and then I'll go through that, kind of have a reality check. Do I really need that keyboard? Yeah. Do I really need that shirt? Um do I really need whatever is in my list? Right. You know, like, right. you know, this week I was shopping for my daughter's birthday and you know, I had all these things. You know, I had the four things I was getting additionally on hers and then I found all these other cool things and I'm like, do I really need these things? Like, yeah. And then one by one, you know, they like, started coming out. I, they started coming <laughs> out because like, no, I don't need that. Yeah. You know, I, I need, you know, I was thinking I need a new wireless keyboard for my iPad. And then, you know, I was, I, uh, my my coffee table lifts up and there's a compartment in there. Well, I found one in there. It's like, nope, I don't need another one. Because <laughs> apparently I already have Suddenly one. Suddenly I don't need one. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes we need those reality checks, even in simple things like that. Right. Um, you know, like I, I had a reality check with my bad day. You know, after going through those emotions, like, okay, do I want, do I want to sit and wallow in this still? Yeah. Or yeah. do I want to change Right. the projection of my day and the rest of this week. Um, so we got to do those. Otherwise, we're going to stay in those negative places. And then, yeah, we're, we're past barrier number two. Right. Interesting. There's lots of boundaries that it's associated with this. Yeah. Uh, it, it's first order changes. It's second order changes. It's uh, uh, it's what uh, what helps our spouses feel safe. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's participating in a recovery community. It's, mm -hmm. it's being very serious about our recovery. Those are all boundaries that we create for ourselves at this phase to say these are really, really important. Um, later on in his book, he talks about uh, he talks about how many hours is it required and what's really expected of a recovering individual after they after they leave the Sage One experience, yeah. you know, and how many hours that really requires. 
you know, that, that's, that's a several year commitment yeah. when you put it all to the math, a several year commitment of, of participating in recovery kinds of things uh, and being part of, all, part of all of that. Those are all clear boundaries. Yeah. And, and whether you're willing to participate in that or not, and that, those are the boundaries then that help you decide, is this, am I really going to do this or am I not? And those boundaries that our, our spouses put in, on place, I know, at least for me, was really hard. They and were I, difficult. And I know I have a couple of sponsees I've worked <clears> with that they struggle with that too. We really need to take into account them. Yes. Um, you know, we've done a lot to, to hurt them and damage them. And even though sometimes some of the things may sound silly uh-huh. or weird, you know, um, you know, like my ex wanted me out of the bedroom and didn't want me in there at all you know lock the door everything i did violate that and it cost me but and, and it's like it's my house it's my bedroom like why but looking back it's because she needed that to feel safe she needed that to feel safe and yeah. i didn't care enough to provide that safety you know because i just blew through the door and it's like who cares you know, yeah i'm it, you know you weren't here how you know what does it matter um but it did you know and so just I would just caution that, you know, even though it may sound silly, you're trying to build trust and safety for her. Right. And that's what you're trying to do. It, the, you know, yeah. that, that's important. And creating barriers, not only for keeping you safe, but keeping her safe as well, yeah. are all very much barriers that uh, prevent relapse. Yes. So anything you can do to help, uh, you know, build her up and, and make her yeah. feel safe is going to help the whole entire process. Yeah, and so. don't be resentful for whatever barriers she needs to put in place for yeah. her safety because, again, resentment's just going to ca- get you to relapse. Right. The barrier three, checking for boundary violations. Um, <clears throat> this is an interesting topic. I uh, Right after disclosure to my wife uh, about my addictive behavior. Now, I had gone through most of my Sage One experience by that point in time. I was actually mentoring another group before I ever disclosed to her that of my circumstance. So we were well down the path of of involvement in the recovery community and working through some of that. I had in my mind that I needed to amass some amount of clean time before I really sat down and visited with her. Uh, and it was a difficult day. The day I sat her down and said, this is the circumstance, this is what I've been dealing with, and this is what I'm working on to overcome that. Um, and that was important to me for whatever reason at the time. And, uh, uh, and I still kind of stand by that decision, at least in my own life. I don't know that I would recommend it for anyone else, but I just know that yeah. for myself that was a, a partly because of the timing of it all. But what, what came of that was interesting is right immediately after that, my wife had an opportunity to join a wives group, <clears throat> uh, something that was put on also by our common counselor, um, and where they went through a twenty-week, uh, a twenty-week course, and what was really interesting, telltale for me in all of that was, as she worked through some of her assignments, was this idea of boundaries, and that was to say that look, what are you as a spouse willing to do or not do if your husband relapses again? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. And so some of the things that she talked to me about, and she made it perfectly clear. Um, <clears throat> If I were to relapse again, I needed to be out of the house for 30 days. Now, it was really, really important to me that my children didn't know. I didn't feel like that was something that, I mean, they're adult children. I didn't yeah. feel like this was something that would be beneficial to them in their lives. Um, and, you know, that's still kind of a topic of discussion as far as with my own children. But it was it's interesting as I sat and listened to what she had put down on her piece of paper is saying this is the this is the consequences if he violates this particular barrier, this particular boundary, if yeah. you will. 
And it dawned on me at that moment in time that if I were to be out of the house for 30 days, there'd be some real live explanation to do with my children. And what would I say? And how would I handle that? And suddenly that became a real live sort of working thing. Now, I think it's relevant when we, that when we start talking about boundaries that we understand that what are the consequences of the violation of those boundaries. If somebody were to violate a specific boundary associated with that, what are the consequences in relation to that and are we willing to stand by that? Unfortunately, I know a handful of folks that went through that very same experience, husband and wife, who, who you know, he disclosed she went through the, the same, you know, the same course and was unwilling to hold that violation boundary in place. And I, I, and I wonder about how successful then can that be towards somebody's recovery if both parties in that situation are unwilling to say, okay, I wrote this down on a piece of paper and I really believe this is important and I really believe this is valuable, but I can't, I can't adhere to that. Yeah. I, can't, I can't make that happen. I am aware of a couple circumstances where they were at least kicked out of the, the living space of the house. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but it was, it was too much of a trouble in their particular circumstance for him to be gone back to wherever it is he needed to go after a violation of such of those things. It would put too much of a burden on her to have to deal with the children 100% by herself. So she removed him from the living space of the house. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a genuine eye-opener for this idea of paying attention to what are we going to do we're going to we're going to check these boundaries and what does the violation look like yeah and there's also the flip side where it's too strict it, it, there has to be some flexibility in some of these boundaries uh you know in my case it was like super strict which is where i went to well screw this i'm just going to yes. start breaking through these um because it's you know uh you know there's a boundary that i couldn't be at home there's a boundary that you know i shouldn't be away from home so there's just yeah. so many boundaries <sighs> that was setting her off that it was like no matter what I did left or right I was going to be violating, violating something, something yeah. um, so there does it has to be reasonable you know definitely you know if you you know you cheat on me again you're out of the house for 30 days right. why well, decide what I'm going to do that sounds reasonable yeah um, but you know then to freak out like oh but you have to be calling me every hour in the hour so I know exactly what you're doing right you know and that's kind of you know, she's still in the same place right. uh, effectively, but um, you definitely have to, I think those boundaries have to be agreed upon, you know, because you have to decide, okay, yes, I can do this. Because if you don't, you know, that was my biggest problem is it was never, okay, this is the boundary. I need you to accept this. Right. It was, here's the boundary, deal with it. Uh, and so yeah. it definitely put <clears throat> me in a, a very negative spot looking at those. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be. Uh, final barrier, barrier four, responding to relapse by keeping your agreements. Yeah. And I think that's relevant. Uh, you know, the idea notion that, hey, I've got these agreements in place. There, there's a community out there that understands where I'm at in my recovery. And they, they want to be there to help. They want to be there to support. But they also want to know that, look, if you, if you violate the terms of these agreements, if you violate the terms of these boundaries that have been established, that there are some consequences. Yeah. And you have to be willing as a recovering individual to say, I'm going to honor that agreement. In my own circumstance, my wife had made it very clear that another violation meant that 30 days out of my home. And I got to tell you, that uh, that had me thinking. I'm uh, I'm an old man now. Uh, the idea of going back to, to mom and dad's house to sleep in their basement was not at all enticing. And, and so 
the thought was, well, I'd probably just go get a hotel for 30 days. Well, I know what that would cost. Yeah. Uh, so all of this starts coming through my, you know, running through my mind. I'm thinking, wow, that's a serious, serious consequence. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a real life boundary that I have to pay attention to. But more importantly, I have to honor that agreement. Yeah. <clears throat> I I mean something I really enjoyed about our Sage Two group that I went through is we all agreed that if we relapsed, and I don't think any other group has done this, but if we relapsed, we would do a relapse chain. Yes. And then we would present it at the next group. And if you had relapsed and didn't come, you had to sit off to the side <laughs> while group so went on, that. while you worked on your relapse chain, and then you'd present it at the end if you had, if you had, you know, when it was was done. Um, you know, there were a couple of people that just showed up, and yeah, they didn't have it, and I don't, not very many did that a second time. <laughs> That's a know? true story. <laughs> um, there were a couple that did, um, but it, re- I think that really helped keep us accountable because we realize okay hey if i do this i gotta there's you know, some accountability there's some accountability here yeah. i'm gonna have to do this in front of everyone and just say instead of saying yeah you know i relapsed you know it's uh i'm at day zero again right right you know which i've we've seen and there just doesn't seem to be anything there but after that um it seemed like at least with that group we didn't really have as time went on we had less and less yeah. relapses and people started to get some momentum in their their sobriety because there was, you know, some accountability yeah. there as well as some consequences. It's not fun getting no, in front not. of people going through that. Which brings up a really interesting comment, and, and, and you know, and maybe we end on this particular note, but it's this idea that Gary keeps sharing with us that we're really only as healthy as our secrets. Yeah. Implicit in barrier four is is that we keep our agreements. One of those agreements is is that we we when something happens in our life that it's no longer just affecting me, it's affecting a community. Yeah. And that we share that openly and honestly with people that, hey, look, I've had this experience in my life and and it's, you know, it's affected me this way or whatever. It may restart our clean time and I've had that experience. So, you know, mm-hmm. you've had that experience. Yeah. All those things are relevant to being honest and, and being transparent and keeping our agreements. Our agreement is, is that, <clears throat> you know, that we live our lives, you know, fully, fully available for, for review by anybody who wants to you know poke their poke their nose into our experience to understand what's going on that's the you know that's the that's living this kind of a lifestyle yeah. now and that's part of the agreement that's associated with being an addict and and by doing so this barrier becomes really relevant yeah. so immediately then when a relapse occurs or or if something happens that you know that uh, that may have been a slip rather than a you know than a complete relapse or a lapse is what we call yeah. it you know a lapse in judgment that instead of hiding that like we used to do and lie about it like we used to do that yeah. we're you know 100% transparent with those that you know those that those people in our lives that really matter yeah and that's part of that agreement that's part of that that barrier and by doing that that enables us then to move forward and to move forward in a healthy way because then we're only as healthy and we're only as sick as our as our secrets yeah and that kind of ties <clears throat> back to the four agreements you know be impeccable with your word that's exactly right um, because once we do that, uh, it really does help uh, move you forward. Yeah. Well, what a fun topic. We've spent, uh, we've had a couple of sessions here talking about specifically about relapse. I hope that's helpful to our listeners. Uh, those who may be experiencing, uh, you know, ongoing issues, ongoing relapse uh, in their lives. And maybe those are some things that can help, uh, can help overall in terms of, in terms of putting them in a place and putting them back on track for, uh, uh, for relapse recovery. Yeah. So 
That's the important thing. So with that, this is Mike saying, do the work necessary to find the peace that recovery can bring. And this is Daniel saying, find the humility in your recovery. Very good. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12thsteppodcast at gmail.com. That is 1-2-T-H-STEP-PODCAST at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.